I don't believe that faith and fear can coexist in your mind. And uh, I believe that the times that I overcame the fear, I think my faith got to a certain point where it was stronger than the fear I was feeling, and then the fear went away, uh, like overnight, once my faith grew. How do you unlock the full potential of your influence and create the lasting change that you are destined for? I am your co-host, Dave Donaldson. Thanks, Dave, and I am your co-host, Scott Young. Welcome to the Influencers Podcast. Join us each week for exciting stories and strategies from leaders, experts, and professionals from around the globe. As we are empowered to make an impact that resounds from your neighborhood to the nations. What a great joy to welcome you to the Influencers Podcast, and what a fascinating program we have for you today. We're going to look at how someone becomes such an incredible influence that young men that aren't even biological sons call him on Father's Day. We're going to talk to a coach who has influenced in the sports world and in the world of faith. Coach Mark Richt is with us today, who is a beloved football coach. He's generous. He's a philanthropist. He travels as a motivational speaker. His most important jobs, he's a husband. He's a dad, and he's an author of a book that is called Make the Call that we're going to talk about today. He started coaching with the famous coach, Bobby Bowden, and Bobby made a huge impact in his life as they together coached uh, Florida State University, the Seminoles, and uh, he went on to become the head coach for the University of Georgia, I think about 15 years in that role, then to the University of Miami. Throughout his career, he won two SEC championships, five SEC division titles, one ACC title. In 2002 and 2005, he was named the SEC Coach of the Year. In 2017, he was named the ACC Coach of the Year, and that year also nationally named the Walter Camp Coach of the Year Award. Coach is currently a football analyst for the ESPN ACC Network, he travels all over the country in speaking engagements and working in philanthropic work. He's married to his wife, Catherine. And it is a story. This is a story of the football guy marrying the, the cheerleader. That's right. And they've been married for how long you've been married, coach? We've been married almost 35. And this, this is a beautiful thing. I could tell you got your information off of Wikipedia because it says she was a cheerleader, but she actually was not a cheerleader. Oh, oh well, but, thanks for, cl let's that, clear that up right now. Then. That, that's our new, uh, it's a new joke in our family because a lot of people come up to her and say, oh, you're a cheerleader at Florida State, but she never was. Well, I'm sure <clears throat> that in your 35 years, how, how long together? You're 30? 30, we're on our way to 35. Wow. In your years together, I'm sure she's cheered you on a lot. Oh, so yeah. we'll give her that well, honorary she, title. Well, she has been the water girl in Georgia. And, uh, did a lot of cheering from behind the water. Oh, that's, that's, so good. that's for sure. So good to clear things up when we're with you. You have four adult children. That's right, right? Yes, sir. Yeah. And uh, two grandchildren? Two grandchildren. That, that was one thing you failed to mention on the front end, that I was not only a father and a husband, but a grandfather, which is the most important. Listen, I'm coming to that because I heard in an interview that you said Jaden was the most beautiful grandchild in the world. 
until Zoe showed up. Then it was <laughs> well, I've got a couple, I've got three grandchildren. So I'm sure there's a few grandparents that are listening that would maybe dispute that with you, but we're glad that you're a dad. We're glad you're a granddad. And we're glad just for the influence that you've had in the days, the years that God has given to you. You start, you've been a sports guy since a young man, you were a player. I think you had some aspirations for the pros and then you have made your way into coaching. Can you just tell us about how that journey took place from wanting to be a pro player to ending up being a college football coach? Right. Well, I think everybody gets, uh, you know, positive strokes for something in their life when they're a kid and makes them feel good. And sports was that for me. I just, I loved it. I loved all the sports. Uh, I became a quarterback exclusively in high school when my coach, Roger Coffey, said, if you want to be my quarterback, I need you to focus on one sport. And uh, so I kind of bought in and, and he promised me if I did what I, if I did my part, I'd get a scholarship and all that good stuff. And, and it all came true. You know, Coach Coffey was a very strong mentor in my life who really helped me love uh, football, love sports. And I actually remember one day, he asked me, for some reason, I'm not sure why, but he asked me if I believed in God. Hmm. And this back in high school, I said, well, coach, I don't know if I believe in God or not, but one thing I do believe in is football. And, of course, I thought he'd be so proud of that. But uh, he kind of looked at me strange. And uh, so he probably thought he created a monster and maybe did. But that's kind of where my mindset was back in those days. That's how much sports meant to me. It was really my whole identity. And then – Going on from high school to college, I went to the University of Miami and had all these goals to, uh, you know, start as a freshman. And I was going to go ahead and be an All-American my second year, win the Heisman my third year, go pro. <laughs> but uh, the problem was there's another guy on the team named Jim Kelly yeah. who uh, was kind of living my life for me. And so when, you know, my, when football went in the tank for me, my life kind of went in the tank. So, and then, as you mentioned, I did still hold on to some hope of, Playing in the NFL, I had a trial with the Denver Broncos and John Elway happened to be there. <laughs> I, and the next year, I uh, tried out for the Dolphins and Dan Marino was there. So <laughs> I kind of my mom and my mom and I like to say I was the fourth best quarterback in the world back then, but nobody knew it. It's so, so interesting that your your <clears throat> high school coach talked to you about God and then. Coach Bowden, he influenced your life, not just in the sports realm, but also in your spiritual life. Um, and he also had a conversation with you and a bunch of other guys about God one day that really kind of brought change into your world. Can you tell us about how he influenced your life? Right. Well, I was a graduate assistant coach at Florida State after my trials, trying to be a player. Once they, I realized I wasn't going to play anymore, I decided to coach. And so my second year as a graduate assistant coach at age 26 in 1986, uh, unfortunately, one of our players was shot and killed during an open date party on campus. And uh, that very next day, Coach Bowden called a team meeting and uh, began to talk about what had happened. I was very aggrieved, like all of us were. Mm -hmm. And uh, Bottom line, he just said, man, I don't know where Pablo is. His name was Pablo Lopez, yeah. big offensive tackle. And uh, he said, I'm not sure where he's going to spend eternity. I don't know where he was in his faith. And then he proceeded to, to preach the gospel, basically, and just said, you know, God, 
created us. He loves us. He wants a relationship with us. He wants us to live forever with him in heaven. But, you know, we got a problem. And that's when Adam sinned, sin entered all man. And, and the, and the, uh, in, in order to get into heaven, you got to be perfect. And none of us are capable. Mm-hmm. But we need, we need Jesus. So uh, basically, he, he pointed at the chair Pablo sat in. And he said, man, Pablo used to sit in that chair right there. He said, you guys are 18 to 22-year-old. 22 years old, you think you're going to live forever, just like Pablo thought he was, and now he's gone. He said, if that was you last night instead of Pablo, you know where you'd spend eternity. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was talking to the players, but the Holy Spirit was talking to me through coach. And I knew where I'd go, and it was not a good place. And uh, some seeds that were planted in my life back in college of a teammate of mine who became a believer kind of came to fruition. And that next day I decided, you know, I needed to go see coach. And uh, so I knocked on the door. He said, come on in, buddy. He calls you buddy when he forgets your name. And, uh, but I went in there. I said, coach, I know you're talking to the players, but I need, I need Jesus. And uh, so I prayed to receive Christ in his office and uh, everything changed, you know, uh, life became actually very simple as far as goals were. That was my new goal was to try to live a life that was pleasing to God. And, not necessarily easy goal, but it was an easy, simple, it was a simple goal, I'll say. And, uh, and from then on, that's kind of how I tried to live my life. You, so you were surrounded by these sports leaders, coaches that not only impacted the sports world, but impacted the spiritual world. And then you stepped into the role of being a coach. How did you kind of combine both of those worlds as you coached and helped young men spiritually and in their sports life? Well, to me, they're, you know, they're one and the same. I think okay. we all look at life through a certain lens. We, we have a certain way of, we have a certain view, worldview, however you want to call it. And, you know, my view was biblical. My view was, you know, I was a born again believer in Jesus mm-hmm. Christ. I knew the minute I accepted Jesus, my spirit and soul became perfect and I was going to heaven. Yeah. And, and so, you know, my life, you know, that new goal I had of trying to, live a life that God would be pleased with, you know, kind of led me through every decision I ever made. And, um, you know, when you, when your accountability is to God, uh, then you, you tend to do a little bit better. I would think than when your accountability is just to your, to your coach or your boss or whoever it may be. So, uh, that was kind of the, 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 uh, driving point for me. So you've written this book called Make the Call, which talks uh, about your journey in football and in your spiritual life. Can you kind of tell the listeners why you wrote the book and what your if if right. they get a hold of that book, what what your goal is when they read these pages? Right. Well, Make the Call is a little bit of a play on words. If if you are a coach and you are a play caller, mm-hmm. you have to make the call every forty seconds in a game. And if you're the head coach, you're making calls and, you know, throughout the game and in recruiting and discipline of players and things like that, you're constantly making calls and making a call is nothing more than making a decision. Mm-hmm. And so we all make decisions in life. And so this book's about making decisions and some of the decisions that I made along the way, mm-hmm. uh, dealing with family, faith, football, just life in general. And, um, and so Truthfully, the, the book is about wanting to challenge the reader mm-hmm. before he or she finishes 
to make the most important call you can make in life. And that's a decision for, for Christ. And uh, so if anybody knows somebody who loves football, but you're not sure if they love the Lord or not, that, that's a good book for them. But it is, it is a great book uh, for football fans, especially the Georgia, Miami, Florida State fans, because there's a lot of stories about the teams that I was affiliated with. A lot of behind-the-scenes look at uh, certain plays, certain games. You know, so it's a good football book. It's a fun behind-the-scenes look at those kind of decisions. But it's also a book about life, and I think I think everyone would enjoy it. Well, I, I think you've given just a great um, idea, a hook for someone that is uh, loves football, loves college football, and has friends that they would like to come to discover the truth that you are right. living now. So I think that's a, just a great idea. I don't want to be able to miss out on that idea. You can get a hold of this book, make the call, and as they're reading about football, they can also find some faith in there. No, there's no doubt. They'll, yeah. they'll, uh, they'll point blank have to make a decision one way or another, I'll tell you that. They'll have to make the call. I hope so. In your, in your book, you talk about when you first moved to Georgia and you, were, you, you felt overwhelmed. It talks about when you were face down. Uh, on the floor and really just saying, God, I don't think I can do this. And it, it seems to be a moment where your faith uh, met your fears. And can you talk about how there's a lot of fear in the world today, a lot of apprehension right. in the world today. Can you talk about faith overcoming fear in your life and maybe help those listening too? Well, there's, there, there were many times in my career, the decision to take the job at Georgia, you know, I was fearful. They, once I took the job and, and the time you just mentioned, uh, I was fearful. I mean, before that, I became an offensive coordinator when I wasn't ready to be mm. at East Carolina University. And I was, I was experiencing a lot of fear at that time. But the thing that I learned is two things. You know, one is, you know, fear is not coming from God. That, that's that's, the, that's saying messing with you for sure. Yeah. But the other thing is I, I, I don't believe that faith and fear can coexist in your mind. And uh, I believe that the times that I overcame the fear, I think my faith got to a certain point where it was stronger than the fear I was feeling. And then the fear went away, mm -hmm. uh, like overnight, once my faith grew. Uh, the time in particular that you mentioned at the hotel in Georgia, as I was kind of crying out to God saying, I don't think I could do it. He's, he's pretty much saying, I, I know, dummy, <laughs> you need me. <laughs> But yeah. uh, no, really, truthfully, I, I felt like I heard him say what he said to Moses when Moses felt like he couldn't lead the people out of Israel, I mean, out of Egypt, which he said, uh, I will certainly be with you. Yeah. And when, when God said that to my spirit, saying, I will be with you, uh, that, that really helped me a lot. You, you talked about your faith growing till it overcame your fears. If someone's listening, how would they grow their faith? If right. they go, listen, I'm saying, how, how, did, how did your faith grow and how can we grow? Well, truthfully, in, at East Carolina, when I had the first time I the first time I kind of went through that type of fear, mm -hmm. uh, there's a book called The Power of Positive Thinking. Yeah. And it was Norman Vincent Peale. And it was yeah. not a self-help book. It was about memorization of scripture mm -hmm. and uh, conditioning your mind, renewing your mind with scripture. And so I was reading that book and I was putting things into practice and I was truly uh, memorizing scriptures that he felt like would be helpful. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and they actually were very helpful to me. So, you know, I'm very thankful for that book. And, 
and for God's word and the fact that it can recondition your mind and recondition your thinking to where, you know, the fear that really is not coming from God uh, fades away to, to near nothing. Yeah. Your faith, your lifestyle <clears throat> um, did what Jesus calls us to do, be salt, to influence the people around us, to be light. So much so that these young men, uh, even after you stop being their coach, they're involved in your life. They call you on Father's Day. And that was an amazing thing to read about. And how did you so impact young men that they still are connected to you, still call you on Father's Day, and there still continues to be a relationship? I think the big thing is they knew I cared about them. They knew I loved them. You know, they knew it was not just about footballs, not just about winning. You know, what can I do to help me win? What could I do to help me get a better job? What could I do to give me a bigger salary? Uh, they knew deep down you know, the coach, coach cared about them. Coach loved them and loved them enough to discipline them. Some of them didn't really understand that in the beginning. You know, boundaries, you know, are good for people. They don't necessarily like them all the time, but you know, like your kids don't like boundaries, but boundaries are showing somebody you care about them, you love them. And then discipline them is the same thing. If you, if you let a child do anything he wants to do, or you let a player do anything he wants to do, even if it's destructive, then you're really, you're really not loving them like you should. And so, you know, once – I mean, I, I've got guys that I've literally kicked off the team because they just couldn't get it. Mm -hmm. And they were being a detriment to themselves and the team and the university. Come back years later and say, Coach, I just want to thank you for loving me enough to do that because, you know, I, I, it, it finally hit – you know, when I, when I had to leave the team, it finally dawned on me that i got to change my ways. And, uh, and it helped them in life. So if all we do is help them throw and catch and tackle and block and win games and lose games and all that, we, we miss the mark, especially as collegiate coaches, because, you know, those guys show up pretty much in a boyhood stage and they need to leave in, the, in, in a full-grown man or at least working their way into manhood where uh, they're ready for life that comes at them. And so these are, these are sports guys that are growing up. You obviously have a great care in your heart. How do you communicate that care to, to the athletic world? These are guys that they're rough, they're tough. How do they sense that you care for them? Well, the bottom line is um, you, can, you can motivate in a couple different ways. Yeah. Uh, you can motivate through fear and intimidation, mm -hmm. or you can motivate through compassion and love. And, you know, I think Coach Bowden was the greatest example of that for me. Uh, you know, at Florida State, during the time we were there, the, the heyday, so to speak, of mm -hmm. Coach Bowden's tenure, um, we wanted to win for him. I'm talking about the coaches wanted to win for him. Yeah. The players wanted to win for him because we loved him. And we loved him because we knew he cared about us. He, mm -hmm. he made sure our coaching staff uh, didn't lose our families as we were trying to pursue these, these great things, he made sure we saw our kids. He made sure we did things uh, with our wives. And he, he was always welcoming to your kids being on in the office, running around and doing those things, having family nights, you know, we, we, and then we would try to, you know, send examples of staff for our players to show what it looks like to, to love your wife and love your kids. And, and so we try to be a, a model to them, not so much telling them what we needed to, 
they needed to do, but show them. And, uh, and I think our players knew we cared because we would do things like character education. We would do things like uh, community service things just to try to help them grow as human beings. And a lot of times they probably wonder, why, why are we doing this? And I've had, I've had guys ask me, why, Coach, why are we doing this? Yeah. I said, because I care about you. Because I want you to grow as a person. So once they figure out you truly care, they'll, they'll do anything for you. And you're caring for them. I love when you said not just to win the game, but you are caring for them to develop a life. So thank you for that. You're, talk to me about humility and leadership. You said there's several ways you can like motivate a, right. a, a team, get them moving in the same direction. It could be a sports team for someone listening. It could be a, a business team, could be any kind of team. But talk to me about humility in that process. Right. Well, you know, the most humble man ever lived was Jesus. <laughs> you know, and he's, you know, if he's your guide, then you, you'll, you'll be humble. Uh, and, you know, truthfully, life humbles all of us at some time or another. You know, there's some guys that uh, in the sports world that uh, have never met adversity. They're the biggest, strongest, fastest, most talented. Yeah. And uh, never really ran into any adversity in their life until they get to college. And then they get to, excuse me, they get to college and all of a sudden, hmm. you know, it, adversity strikes and they start to lose, lose their confidence. And, and they, uh, you know, they get humbled, so to speak, by somebody beating them out or whatever it may be. But I, I think that uh, if, if you just aren't humble and you're, you know, you're cocky, you're arrogant. Uh, if you're that way as a coach, you're, you're, kids, kids might follow you because they want something, they want playing time or whatever they, but they don't really, you know, bottom line is if they're doing it only because you're watching them, then when you're watching them, they'll behave a certain way. But when you're not watching them, they'll do whatever the heck they want to do. But if, if they love you and they want to do right by you uh, because of that, then I think there's a better chance that they'll behave the right way. And, and that's why we're here with well, this. This podcast is here to help people to increase their influence so that they can make a better world around them. You're a great example of that. But if we took away, like if you were not a coach, someone's listening, they say, well, I've never been a award-winning college coach and I don't have the followers that coach has, or I don't have the recognition that coach has. What can we say to them to, to help them influence the world they live in to make it a better place and to have kingdom impact like you're having? Well, I think the biggest thing is to truly love God and love him enough to obey his word. You know, I, I think God wants a relationship with all of us. He wants us to love him. And so how do you show God you love him? You show him you love him by obeying him. Just as a parent, you know, you feel loved by your children when they obey you. So when you do that, you start to live a certain way. You start to make certain decisions in life that other people notice. And it's like something's different about that person. I don't know what it is, but uh, they, have, they live a certain way. And uh, I'm attracted to that. And sometimes people might make fun of someone who makes, you know, maybe certain decisions about uh, morality or whatever it may be. But it always seems to happen when there's a crisis who do they turn to? They turn to that person because they know they're grounded and they know they've got something that maybe they need. And so uh, just 
you know, obey the Lord the best you can, you know, know that have the peace in your heart to know that we're not, we don't have to behave perfectly to get into heaven. We just need to submit our lives to Jesus and accept the gift. But, but once we, you know, once we become that believer and our heart changes, you know, we need to see some fruit uh, the best we can. And we, when we blow it, admit it and move on, you know, confess it, move on. But I think people see a consistent lifestyle of someone who maybe has something like, like, let's say peace, for example, why does that guy have peace in this crazy world? Well, because I, I pray for God to give me that. And I also know that the Lord, you know, gave me peace through the fact that I know where I'm going in the end. And you, you've, Throughout our podcast, you've talked about Jesus, your faith, getting right with God because of what Jesus did for us. It, it just, uh, it's an example of the way you do care for people. Appreciate that. And uh, we care about you. We're very glad you've been with us today. And uh, give us a little update on how we could be praying for you, how we could care right. for you, and how we could be loving you in these days. Right. Well, uh, recently I had uh, found out that I've got Parkinson's. So, um, you know, when I became a believer, uh, I, I, I really did receive that peace yeah. of God. And uh, I had a heart attack a few years after I, a few months after I retired. And, uh, and right when I'm on the table thinking it's about, I'm about to go, uh, I felt this great sense of peace in my spirit, knowing where I was going. But now with this Parkinson's, it's kind of a new word that uh, is really resonating with me, and that's hope. Wow. Uh, you know, my hope, you know, when I, when, I, when I announced I had Parkinson's on Twitter, I said, I look at this as a momentary light affliction compared to the glory that I'm going to receive when I get that new body that has no sin and has no disease. Now, I know that's coming. That's where my hope yeah. is. My hope is not in this just this temporal world my hope is in the eternal thing so if all i had to look forward to was what's on this earth you know parkinson's is a progressive disease that a lot of people basically become a prisoner in their own body and it's not much fun to think about that's that's what happens a lot of times so if that's all i had to hope for it's not much to be hopeful about but i know when it's all said and done and i could say it's momentary because compared to compared to eternity it's even if it's 10, 20, 30 years, whatever it is, it's nothing to compare to forever. And then the, and the wonderful thing that's promised to me down the road. Wow. That we will certainly be praying for you. And there are people that are listening right now that it may be Parkinson's, it may be cancer. It may be a devastating financial thing that's happened. And I'd like us just to take a moment if we could pray that they would have hope like you have Amen. just talked about that well, our words together here, our time together would ripple out the influence of your life and of this podcast would just bring them the hope that comes in, in Jesus. So let's, can we just share a prayer together? Sure. Just in the name of Jesus, we just pray together for our friends that are listening today. They've just heard coach talk about his life and how in the midst of it, it's a momentary light affliction that he has great hope. We pray that the God of hope would fill people with joy in the midst of their trials. We pray that they would have peace in the midst of the storm, and we pray that they would overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.
Amen. Thank you. Well, no, thank you, coach. Thank you so much for this time that you've shared with us and just the influence of your life. And as we walk away, I'd really love people to think about how they are caring for the people that are in their life. And if they could increase the care of their life, I think they'll influence the increase the influence of their life. No doubt. I'm with you hundred percent. Thanks coach. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Influencers Podcast on the Charisma Podcast Network. If you enjoy our content, we would love for you to subscribe and have the opportunity to tune in to future podcasts. You can follow us on all social media platforms at the Influencers Podcast Official. You can stay up to date, hear more inspiring content, and unlock your full potential as an influencer. Remember to use your influence to create lasting change that draws the world closer to Jesus.